Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of my podcast, Is Breakfast Included? Now before I go on to the show and who's on the show today, I just want to say I've just come off a couple of the best weeks of the last year and a half. I started out the last week of July in New York City prepping and rehearsing for a show that ultimately did not happen, followed by a week with amazing friends, amazing food, ice cream on a cone, and we capped it off with Guns N' Roses at MetLife Stadium. So I am home, refreshed, recharged, and ready to do this. George Red Speaks is on the show today. Now, George is a former radio and television personality who found his calling in comedy. And then ultimately, George had to go to prison. But it's what he did in prison that's pretty amazing. He came out stronger than ever and is currently killing it on the Dallas comedy scene. I'm going to let him tell you all about it. Let's check it out. <clears throat> You're ready, man. Uh, tell me who you are, man. My name is George Red Speaks. I am a comedian out of Texas, and I am on Is This Breakfast Included podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the promo right off the bat. Uh, man, uh, like I was telling you before, I don't know anything about you. Yeah. But what I do know is pretty interesting. So let's, how did you get into comedy? Oh, man. It's a, well, I've been in entertainment for 18 years already. Mm -hmm. What did um, you do before comedy? Um, I started in music, and then um, I got into radio, got recognized, and I was able to get into uh, a, a prominent radio station out here. And then after that, I got into television um, as a VJ for uh, um, MTV3 when they were out here in Dallas. And then I used that to generate and promote events, concerts, and... Uh, I got into the club scene, um, trying to figure my, my my way out through my twenties. Like, where did I fit in? I, I was having a good time. I didn't I didn't enjoy radio. I didn't. I loved doing music, but I, I was already kind of just. I had made a lot of traction doing these other things, and I was having a very good time. I, I liked TV. I just didn't like the business of TV. Mm -hmm. um, I started my own show called Infamous Rhythm TV, and then. Um, Doing the promotions and stuff, uh, getting into the business, the bar business, and I've always been like interested in the, on the business part of things. Like how how does it operate? How do you what licenses do you need and stuff? So then I, I had a couple of bars that I GM'd at, and then I learned it, and then I had a, a restaurant, and then also a club that I was partial owner of. Didn't didn't enjoy it, <laughs> so I was trying all these different things. Just I was just like trying to get my footing somewhere. Yeah. I always loved comedy, though. Stand-up comedy, I was obsessed with it. Never in my wildest dream did I think to ever even try it. I was just like, no, that's for the gods, man. You know what I'm <laughs> saying? Like, And I wouldn't even know where to start, you know? And um, I didn't know any comedians. I, I didn't know anybody in that yeah. business. So it wasn't even in my thought process. <clears throat> so I stayed promoting and stuff and doing the, the television show. And then uh, there was a godsend. There's a guy named Flo Hernandez. He's a, a comedian here out of Dallas. He's been doing it almost 20 years. He's amazing. And I got uh, um, invited by someone that I was doing business with, one of my sponsors, to go to this uh, comedy show that they were throwing. And uh, 
he he headlined man and it was just amazing i was clutching my stomach i was laughing so hard i had to meet him afterwards yeah right i wanted to see if he wanted to help me work on the tv show help me write some skits something right and uh, i gave him my card he called me the next day and we just became good friends and then um he asked me he was just like uh you're doing all these promotions why don't you promote a comedy show and i was just like my demographic is a whole bunch of gangsters from the hood. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, they come late at night, you know, and even at night when you're throwing a big thing at a club, they still show up late. Yeah. You know, you're, you're only there from 10 to two, right? As far as the party's concerned. And they're still getting there at 1130, 12. And, um, I was just, I just don't think they would come early enough for a comedy show. Comedy shows usually around seven o'clock. It's more like dinner and comedy. And then you'll have a late show at nine o'clock, something like that. Date night type of stuff. <clears throat> well, um, finally he talked me into it and I did a show and he headlined it and it was amazing. We sold out, sold out. It tripped me up. People came out to the comedy show and I was out and at home before midnight and I made the same amount of money and I was like, wow. Right. So I, I, I went in head on, on the business side, you know, um, and we just started doing, I started, you know, producing shows throughout the city and throughout Texas. And then uh, my brother, the late G Spook, he just passed away um, a few months ago. Um, very prominent um, radio station personality. Uh, he was on K104, he was on 97.9 The Beat when he, when he passed away. And um, he's like a brother to me. And we grew up together. And one day we're all sitting around and he's talking about he wants to do comedy, this, this, and that. And so I put him on a show and uh, he wanted to back out of it because he couldn't write nothing. <laughs> so then he, he asked me for some help. I said, where are you at? At the time he was at K104. And uh, he was like, I'm at the studio, man. I'm, you know, I'm out here. I'm just, he has three days until he has to perform. He has nothing. Right. He had a whole month. Right to write something down. I was like, well, "What do you got?" And he was talking about boogers and farts and shit. I was like, "Dude, this thing, what the fuck? Like, that's not stand up, dude. That's child's play, you know." Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, when I started working there, um, he's the one that got me the job there when I was younger. I was twenty two or twenty three, and when I started working there, I had a different experience than him. When he came out, he got hired on as DJ on display, right? And he just came out, and they just pushed his stardom. And he was the first Hispanic person to be on K104. And um, when I got on, I had it, you know, they wanted me to clean the display. And I was like, oh, shit. So I had this whole thing where I wrote for him my experience, where it was, you know, being the only Mexican at an all-black radio station. Yeah. You know, being a minority at a minority radio station is tough. Yeah. And I go through this whole bit, whatever, and I wrote it for him, and it worked for him. You know, he we started doing comedy shows and stuff like that. Not me, I was just writing. Yeah. And he, it was really cool because he would always give me the credit for it. When people would ask, hey, how'd you come up with that material? He's like, man, my brother Street, that's what they used to call me. My brother Street, uh, he writes for me. And then um, one day, he calls me to the house. He's like, little dude, I don't want to do comedy no more. It's just too scary. He goes, I fucking hate it. And I was like, what are you talking about, dude? You have like groups of 300 people just crying over you, dude. It's hilarious. And he was just like, yeah, dude. He goes, I belong in a radio station with my small cast. 
you know, behind a microphone. This is what I like to do. He goes, I, it just, I get too nervous. He goes, I end up smoking too much weed. <laughs> He's like, it's starting to become a problem. And, uh, and I understood where he was coming from. And I was just like, you know, I understand, dog. I said, that's cool. We'll just drop it. And he goes, well, why don't you, you should do it. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, why don't you fucking do it? He's like, you're the one that writes all this shit. You can't say that. And uh, it got in my mind. I was like, maybe I should fucking do it. So I started asking the comics that I had been hiring. And everyone's just like, yeah, bro, you shouldn't do it. And I wasn't getting encouragement from nowhere. So like two years have passed. And finally, that itch just just kept scratching at me. And the, the more I thought about it, it just, it gets to a point where I start getting upset. When there's something I want to do and I'm not doing it, I, I get I just get in a bad mood and Starts I'm just to like affect I, everything. Yeah, it's like having like a like an abscess or something. You just yeah. feel all this pressure and shit. You're just like, I need to release on yeah. this shit, you know? And uh it was just killing me that I wasn't trying it and no one was giving me no like leeway to do it. No one was giving me opportunity. I was asking people. And they were just giving me the run around. And by the time I knew it, I bought too many people, too many lunches. And I was just like, I'm just going to do it myself. I produce my own shows. And I said, I'm going to start by doing a podcast. And I started, I said, every time I say something, and I'm going to get a whole bunch of people I like. And we're just going to talk about all these crazy issues. And every time I say something funny, I'm going to write it down. Right? And that's what I started doing. I named it George Red Speaks. That's where the, the name came from. Okay. Because I figured, you know, it's easy to remember and it's exactly what i'm doing you know no need to get too creative with it or maybe i'm just not that creative you know and uh and i started doing that at valley of the kings uh at their studio Uh, i don't know if you probably heard of them they have an amazing studio in dallas uh an amazing room for bands and everything it's just it's beautiful yeah uh, anyway um i ended up interviewing interviewing some burlesque girls and it was a company called the Ruby Review. And uh, they're amazing, right? So I'm interviewing them, and I told them, see, no one knew that I had this strategy, this is how I'm going to get in comedy. I was just yeah. doing it. And the thing is, with burlesque, it goes all the way back. That was like the first form of stripping, basically, back to like the 30s, vaudeville days, stuff like that. And because it would take them so long to get dressed for the next number, they would have a comedian come out and make people laugh. Yeah. So they'd build up the sexual tension, and the comedian <laughs> would come out and give them the release, right? Yeah. So I was telling them about it, and she was like, yeah. She goes, of course. She was like, how do you know so much about it? I was just like, I'm just a comedy nerd, you know? And uh, I said, um, I was like, plus, I'm, you know, I'm a comedian. <laughs> she was like, really? Well, we're doing this, this, this show. Uh, we're coming on our 10-year anniversary. And so like that, she goes, we'd love you to, to come out and perform. And my, one of my co-hosts is looking at me like, you fucking liar. <laughs> you know, her name is Victoria, right? And she's been working with me for years on all different types of projects. So she's like one of my best friends, right? And she's just like, fucking stupid. You know, she's giving me that look. I'm just like, stop looking at me, you know? And uh, I'm lying through my teeth, right? She's like, how long have you been doing it? I said, well, I've been producing for a minute, you know, and, and things are working out. And uh, and I said, 10 years, huh? I said, you know what y'all should do? Y- y'all should do it at the House of Blues. That'd be awesome for burlesque. It's a beautiful stage, right? She goes, you know people out there? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get y'all a show. I didn't know no one out there. I look at that, Victoria. She's like, you fucking liar, <laughs> right? 
I'm trying to set something up. Yeah. Because now I'm putting the pressure on me, right? The old fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so uh, she was like, yeah, let's do it. So when the show was over, she was like, are you serious? Do you really want to produce our 10-year anniversary show? I was like, yeah. Right? And I said, um, let's meet, and we'll discuss numbers and stuff like that. And then I'll get out there, and I'll start putting it together. Right? So um, that's exactly what I did. I put the comedians together and uh, and got a hold of uh, House of Blues and all that. And um, that was really hard to do, getting a hold of the House of Blues. That, that kind of happened by accident, how I came across it. I was trying to work it, kept getting tossed to corporate, but it just ha- so happened that I had knew someone that used to be uh, a manager at the Improv in Arlington that mm-hmm. was working over there at the time. So that was my end. Well, anyway, we put it together and it was successful. And I, that's where I performed my first comedy show, which now I hear from everyone it was the stupidest move ever <laughs> because when I got off, Everyone was just like, man, you did good. How many how many mics have you been hitting? I didn't know what the fuck that meant. Mics? They're like, yeah, open mics. They're like, your, your shit came out like, you know, like really good. Well, I had been working on it for a whole month. And I, all I did was write a seven-minute set, you know, which now I know is really hard when you're first getting into com- comedy. But I, I've always been a writer. Mm-hmm. I wrote scripts. I wrote skits. I wrote, you know, music. So I'm always writing, you know, and 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 I'm a perfectionist. And, and I put it to the degree where I light a fire under my ass like I just did to where I have to do it good, yeah. you know, or I'm going to just, you know, sink or swim, you know. But then when I heard about these open mics, I was like, oh, shit, I can do this every week. <laughs> so I started doing mics around and I just started developing developing material and uh it kind of came pretty quick i adapted very quickly with it It, it's still it's a hard craft to to do right yeah Yeah, it is um but i felt like because people were saying man you're just like passing people up and i was like well it isn't that i'm born with this talent it's just that y'all not seeing the other 15 or 14 at the time 14 years of everything i've been doing that kind of translates into this and also me being a comedy head and always looking on how their setups are and yeah. just trying to like pick up the uh the structure of joke writing because it isn't really like a, a joke you tell at a bar right it's a you know knock knock who's there you know it's nothing like that basically you're telling a story but you every eight to twelve seconds you have to have some type of punchline something that's just going to be funny and it's, bring it it's, home. Exactly. It's very elusive. Yeah. It's an elusive way because you can't really say anything on exactly how you deliver it. It's just it's just a whole bunch of things happening at once. And some, some people can grasp it. And then other people, it takes them a long time to develop that. Yeah. That skill or that, um, you know, that uh, that thing, that instinct, you know? Yeah. So. Who, uh. Who are your guys? Who are your heroes? In comedy or in general? In comedy. In comedy? Oh, man. Uh, and I know that he's not a stand-up comedian, but I have to say my number one is Jerry Lewis. Oh. <laughs> I just grew up, I grew up in a Christian household, right? And we're really religious and strict. 
Um, so all we saw was black and white comedy. <laughs> Do you watch that telethon every year? Oh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> My dad always had that shit on. Um, but all the Jerry Lewis movies, like Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, uh, I would always act out his shit, right? And then, um, I mean, Bob Hope and the Three Stooges and just, you know, so 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 many oldie stuff. But I would have to say Jerry Lewis is what first got me as a kid where I was just goofy as fuck because I would always watch his shit. Yeah. And then going into stand-up, I would say the main guy that really influenced me was like Chris Rock. Okay. Chris Rock was to me the best comedian when i first when i was a kid when i was like in my teenage years like i was just addicted to all his shit i couldn't wait for the next special every two years i'd be waiting every three years yeah you know and it just sucked because you had to wait we didn't have youtube you can watch clips every time you wanted to laugh you know all you had was this dvd for three years yeah you know but then like martin lawrence stand up is fucking hilarious um I like Martin Lawrence. When I this is all when I first got into comedy. Martin Lawrence, uh, Chris Rock, um, Chappelle, Chappelle now Bill Burr right now is yeah. I'm really stuck on him, and um, Eddie Murphy, you know. So yeah, man, I I love it. I love comedy. Yeah. Like I'm a huge comedy fan. So all those guys you just mentioned. Yeah. And then there's a lot more. There's so so much more. Like I love Joe Rogan. I love uh I mean I like when when Lopez had first came out, George Lopez had first came out. Now I had saw Paul Rodriguez and stuff as a kid, but he was always older than me. Yeah. Right? When George Lopez came out, it was uh I was like twenty, twenty-one probably. Yeah, I was twenty-one because I had just released an album. And I remember my friend had the DVD. And he put it on, and I was like, oh, shit, this motherfucker's hilarious. And he's brown like me. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you didn't really see that. No, you didn't. It was very rare. I mean, you had Carlos Mencia out there. And, you know, yeah. I, 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 it was never, I yeah. never got into Carlos Mencia yeah. when I was younger. I just His comedy just seemed real cheesy to me. But I've seen him live, and he's a great performer. Yeah. He's a powerful performer, you know, but... Seeing it on TV is completely different than watching it live, you know? Yeah. Um, but George Lopez was the first time where I was just like, man, dude, what, what if I could do it? You know, I was like, nah, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to stick with this shit. So after after starting these open mic nights, do you remember the first time that you, uh-huh. as a performer, as a comedian, got paid to do comedy and what it was like? Well, it was it was very quickly because I'm not just a comic. You know, I, I just I have the skill to produce shows, mm-hmm. and I also have the contacts with all the venues that I've been working with for yeah for over a decade, right? So I have a good track record. So, but as a comedian, but as like, a comedian, I mean, I would produce and and I would I would perform and I uh-huh. get paid that way. But the first time I ever got paid, it was a guy named T Bone. He goes by T Bone. He's a he's a Dallas comedian, and it was in uh, um, I forgot what part of Dallas, man. But it was hood as shit, bro. I was like, <laughs> "What the fuck? Where am I at?" You know what I'm saying? But the place was really nice when you went in. It was called um, Emerald Lounge or the Emerald or something like that, and it was like a grown and sexy, um, you know, African American joint. And uh, it was the first time I was I was gonna perform to a predominantly like one race mm-hmm. i had never done that before but he had paid me 50 dollars come out to do 10 minutes 
which I was like, what? That was really cool. They're very professional. And everyone laughed. And I was like, oh, shit. Right? So I started doing a lot of black rooms and stuff because they just appreciated me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I learned a lot of comedy from them mm-hmm. because I learned what, what they laughed at, what they didn't laugh at. When I saw other comics, man, they were just really expressive and stuff. And I was just like, man, okay, I need to work on that on my delivery. I need to work on it. You know? And then every time I would talk to you know, all the all the comics that would run through this circuit were very generous with information. Not like going to some stuck up clubs or stuck up bars where it was very clickish. Yeah. You know, and people were very folded with information. Like they they they, they didn't really let you know how to be successful. They didn't want you to be successful. It was very cutthroat. It was fucked up. They didn't want you to take their heat. Yeah. yeah. So what I did was because of that. Um, this idea had created, I just kind of just evolved in, in my head where it was like, I would like to start a fraternity for comics, right? Where in this fraternity, you're accepted, right? And in this fraternity, we help each other. We write with each other. We give each other notes. And it wouldn't be, I don't want to break this clickish thing that was going on. And then right before I was able to really execute, I did my first show as uh, it was called the com- it was called uh, Stand Up Society. That's how it first started. And then I got locked up. <laughs> I got locked up, man. Let's talk about that. That's what I know about you. Let's talk yep. about that for a minute. All right. Yeah. So. And then we'll come back to the stand-up society. Yeah, well, I mean, it's that's in order. That that's in the order that yeah. it happened. Yeah. So I was doing comedy for for about a little over a year, and then um, I got locked up. I had a lot of shit that was piling up over the years, and um, I got a DWI case. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, and the judge was like, "Fuck this shit, dude. You're going to prison." Right. I mean, I could have did a 10-year probation thing, but they weren't going to allow me to travel and stuff. And I just barely found the thing that I loved the most in the world was comedy. Yeah. I was just like, I found it. All the things that I've tried, that whole fucking-ass long journey that I went through, I finally fell in love with something that I'm completely obsessed with, right, and passionate about. And I was just like, I had the freaking blinders on like they do with the racehorses. I was like, this is it. And then they're telling me 10-year probation, and I can't travel outside Tarrant County. Like, I have to ask permission to go to Dallas. Wow. I was like, bitch. <laughs> right? And I was like, what's my alternative? My lawyer's like, you could do, they'll probably give you about eight years in prison. You'll probably do two. I was like, I never, you know, never been out that long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And I was like, fuck. And uh, I had to make a decision, man. I was just like, I'm going to do the fucking time. If I could get out in two years, that gives me a lot of time before I'm 40 to really develop and put out my name and develop relationships and develop my craft, you know, on stage. But if I do this 10-year thing, I, there's not enough venues to sustain a career. You know, by the time I'm out of this probation, if I make it, yeah, you know? If I make it through the 10 years, I mean, I'm going to be a lot more older. I'm going to have a really, really late start. I'm already having a late start because I was in my 30s already. So I picked prison. And uh, that was a tough decision. Uh, 
by some good connections and and some people that really helped me out uh, on the outside, I was able to get that eight drop to a four. And then they shot me off out to TDC. And uh, the whole time I was focused on comedy, man, I, I just kept writing every time. I would always talk, get a group of guys together. And While always, inside? Yeah. And I was always trying to figure out how to make them laugh and how to write it down. They're like, why are you always writing shit down? Are you a fucking cop? You know what I'm saying? I was like, no, nah, man, I'm writing down jokes. I'm a stand-up, you know? You can see how I make you laugh, right? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll write it down so that way I can use this when I get back out. They're like, what? And uh, so I always carried around this little notebook and shit. And then finally when I went to TDC, uh, I learned that I need to let everyone know up front so that way they didn't think I was a snitch. I saw some motherfuckers get hit. You know what I'm saying? Just for the simple fact that they, if someone asked you, right, or just accused you, yo, man, you a snitch, right? Now you got to fight them. Those are fighting words. So two things are going to happen. Either when he says, are you a snitch, you're still going to get hit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you say yes or no. You're getting hit, right? So you got to hit them first. And uh, either way, that's going to be a fight. So I let everyone know, guys, you know. I'm a comic, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, I write my shit down, shit, whatever. And everyone knew me. I got along with everybody, you know what I'm saying? Every now and then, you, there's just times you just got to get down or whatever. But um, majority of the time, I was just writing, writing, reading books, man. And I would always hit my mama. Like, I need another book. I need, she was like, I bought you like five books. It's only been like two weeks. Yeah. I'm like, I need more. Right, and I'm just taking them in and writing notes on the books and rereading them. And I, I, mean, I don't know how many books. I probably read like 30, 40 books just on comedy, man. I read history on comedy, the rebels of the uh, of the the 50s and 60s. Um, I read George Carlin's book, Bob Saget's book. I read George Lopez's book, The Why You Crying. I uh, read uh, even the Bob Hope book. You know, yeah. Lucy, the the Lucy uh, book, um, uh, Joan Rivers. That was a really good book. Really good. She really talked about stand up in there. I learned a lot. And then I'm watching this this uh, this uh, TV show, morning show, whatever. And there's this guy they're interviewing. He's uh, started the first comedy institute in Manhattan, New York, back in the '80s. Right? It's called the the American Comedy Institute, and it's uh, like in the New Yorker building. And he used to be like a playwright and a director, and uh, he used to work Broadway. But all of a sudden, these famous comedians wanted him to help them develop their acts, right? Yeah. So, for instance, like a, an alumni from there is like um, Jim Gaffigan, right? He was there with with uh, Stephen Rose for, for over a year, you know? And he left marketing and went into comedy, stand-up comedy. And then uh, Lena uh, Denham, uh, there's just so many names out there that, that he's done things with. And so I got his book. I fell in love with that book. He really made me understand comedy on a whole different level. I reread that book so many times, man, because it always made me happy. And uh, one time, uh, I was like, fuck it, man. Uh, maybe I just need something to keep my mind out of here, right? So mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe if I write the school, let's give me some brochures or something. I want to go to the school when I get out. So I wrote the school. I got the address from my mom. I was going to drop the letter in. And before I dropped the letter in, I was like, well, fuck this shit. I said, I'm going to write Stephen Rosenfeld. Attention, Stephen Rosenfeld, right? So I rewrote the the letter and told him I was in prison, why I was in prison, 
my comedy career before prison. I haven't sent him that article from the Dallas Observer. So he knew I was legit. And then, um, dude, he wrote me back personally. And not only did he write me back, he asked me if there was anything he could do to help get comedy started, stand-up comedy in, in prison. So I wrote him back, and he wrote me back, and we started, he was like, well, what's the name of the ward in this, whatever. Well, I got transferred to uh, the Cleveland unit over there by Houston. And then he wrote the warden, and he wrote the, uh, I got accepted into this um, this business um, uh, program by Baylor University where you actually go through the curriculum, and you get a certificate and everything for business. You learn how to how to write a business plan and stuff like that. So um, he got a hold of them as well. And then all of a sudden, I started doing stand-up comedy, you know, three, four times a week in prison for a year and a half. So when people say, well, you can't count prison, I'm just like, fuck you, dude. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. You know, because, I, you know, I'm getting in front of, it's even harder because you get in front of the same audience. And I'm like an education yeah. right, in the classrooms. There's a, um, a teacher named Ginger Vet, right? And he would let me do it in his classroom. I'd do the GED one, right? But that teacher didn't let me cuss. Ginger Bed didn't give a fuck. He's like, say whatever you want. And he would laugh too, right? And I would have 30, 40 guys, and it's the same guys, right? So I got to come up with new material every fucking week. It's hard, you know, because you can't try. It's not like an open mic where you can try the same material yeah, yeah. And over and over and over until it feels good, you know? Were there any other guys in prison that would? It, this is crazy. So um, there's two guys that got attracted to what I was doing, and it was a guy named James Morales. Another guy named Avery Wilkins. And we became our own little comedy group. Yeah. Right? And we would have writing sessions every day. We'd go to rec, you know, run a couple miles, lift some weights, and then we'd have like another hour or two that w- to blow off. So that's when we would write. And then um, um, it's crazy. When I got out, I, got, I became really good friends with both these guys. Um, James I haven't heard from since i left but avery um he got out recently about six months ago yeah about six months ago and uh i told him i said i'm gonna come pick you up when you get out you gotta write me though you gotta let me know when you're getting out and he wrote me and told me and i was there i was there i picked him up took him out showed him everything i was doing with comedy and stuff because i i made a lot of uh a huge stride in the past year and a half you know, I got to go on tour with Alex Raimundo, um, which is the owner and partners with Ron White with Number One Tequila mm-hmm. on his tour bus, dude. I'm just like, golly, last year I was in prison. <laughs> I'm on this big ass tour bus featuring for one of the Latin kings of comedy, right? Yeah. Because the Latin kings of comedy was it was um, Pa Rodriguez, Cheech Marin, George Lopez, Alex Raimundo, and um, Joey Medina. Right, so now I'm I'm working with this guy. Now I, I even have a chance to work with Joey Medina here, hopefully in September. You know, and I'm just tripping the fuck out. But anyway, so I, I ended up picking up Avery, and then now Avery's doing comedy with me out here. You know, he's doing very well too. When you got out, did you put back the uh, society? Yeah. So when I got out, well, actually, it developed more in prison. I can't. I would always think about it, and I'm scratching different logos and what the name is going to be. And I was just like, stand-up society doesn't have a very good ring. It's kind of whatever. And then um, I was in there, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm always writing and stuff, right? And I remember one of my friends, 
we're watching TV or whatever, and I'm over there working. He's like, man, you're always in that notebook, right? He's like, man, you're like a junkie. I said, I am a junkie when it comes to comedy, right? I'm a real junkie. Like, this is all I do. This is all I think about. So I dream about this shit. It's yeah. fucked up. You know? I'm just, I lost friends and family, not because they hate me, but just because I'm so focused on comedy. Like, you don't fucking talk about nothing else. Right? You're not even normal anymore. I was like, I'm a fucking junkie. Right? I'm a comedy junkie. Right? And then the fans, right, or people that listen to comedy that go actually go to shows, they're junkies too. Yeah. They always want it around. They have the DVD collection at home. They have the downloads. They know what's going on. They're just fans of comedy, but they're junkies. And I was like, what is something that people would like that they, they would take ownership of? Stand-up comedians would love to call themselves comedy junkies. And fans would love to have a shirt that says, I'm a comedy junkie, right? So then I came up with the logo, which I wanted to have kind of like a crossbone skater kind of. I wanted it to be kind of rock and roll, but funny at the same time, right? Yeah. So I and I love the crossbones, right? So what I did was I came up with you know like a like a happy face, but it's missing like it only has like three teeth. It's kind of crooked because it's fucked up, yeah. right? And but still smiling, laughing, right? And one eye is xed out, right? And then he has one eye, and I use two microphones for. The crossbones in the back, and the cords come down, and they tie a bow tie on the bottom. And I was just like, "Yeah, this is fucking awesome." And they still kind of hang and slang because you know they're mic cords, right? So uh, I'll show you a logo before you leave, or I'll probably I'll just give you a shirt. I know. Yeah. Cool. So uh, um, I came up with that, and when I came out, I came out during the pandemic, like when lockdown happened. So that happened March nineteenth. I came out March 25th. I lucked out because they were keeping motherfuckers in there. They didn't know they were sick or not. Yeah. Right? And uh, it was weird, man. It's like I lo- when I got locked up, the world was normal. I come back out and like everything's closed. Right? And all the race rights are happening. Fucking Trump is fucking tripping the fuck out. It's turning more orange and shit. I'm just like, how the fuck am I going to come out of lockup for two years? And the and whole world's on lockdown. And, you know, the whole world's on lockdown. <laughs> Mom's all just like, you know, anything you want me, you know, she was excited to see me. I was like, I want that the Popeye's chicken sandwich. They're like, they're closed. I'm like, bitch, I've been looking, I've been waiting, I've been seeing that commercial for the two years. The one people were fighting over. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just like, what's the fucking big deal? I said, that's the first thing I'm eat when I get out. I don't even eat chicken sandwiches, bro. Anyway, and then she was like, anything else? What do you want? I was like, I want to see my son. I want to see my family. They're like, yeah, yeah, we can't come out of the house. I was just like, well, what the, what the fuck are you asking me for? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, uh, yeah, so, so I come out, and um, but everything opened back in May. So I did the first independent comedy show in the nation. The first professional show the improv had did, right? And then um, I got with Hat Tricks. was an old friend of mine named Jason. He owns Hat Tricks in Louisville. Louisville, yeah. And um, I was talking to Jason. I was just like, he was like, hey, man, it's good to see you. You're out. And I was like, man, it's good to see things starting to open up again. And I was a little tripped out. Right? And this is before they shut it down again. I was like, I forgot it was May something. And uh, I said, all right, man, I want to do a comedy show here. And I haven't performed since I was in prison. Right? And uh, he was just like, yeah, sure, man. Just what date? And I said, I need a Friday or Saturday, man. I need, I need a weekend. He was just like, fuck, you take the next weekend. And I was like, fuck, that's only one week to promote it. I was like, fuck it, man. I'll take a risk, right? 
So I got some of my comedy friends together and we did a showcase. And um, it was cool because I got the headline the, the first show. I only had 10 minutes prepared, you know, yeah. that I was ready to do out in the free world. 10 minutes prepared with a certain order, with a, a set list, right? And, uh, dude, we sold out that whole place. There was like 100 people there, right? I made some good money. I was like, damn, hell yeah, right? And uh, I paid my comics. I, I mean, it was just a great night, man. And um, since then, I, I just started. No one else was doing it. There was a lot of comics that were arguing with each other. How could you be out there, you know, risking your life and risking other people's lives and stuff like that? And and I was just like, I've been locked up. You're telling me that I need to be dodging the coronavirus. I said, I've been dodging, you know, dicks and shanks for the past two years. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You think I give a fuck about this? Now, am I going to take the safety measures? Of course. You got to wear the masks. We have hand sanitizer everywhere. We make sure the waitresses have uh, the table sanitizer, you know, keep everything clean, social distancing. I'm following all the guidelines, you know? And we never had no one get corona at none of our shows and dude so i started like five open mics so i had a mic um it started on thursday friday saturday sunday and monday and uh so comics were just coming out by buttloads i started getting i got to meet everyone i knew any, anyone and everyone that wanted to come out and discovered some awesome comedies some awesome comics which um like liz splat she's a killer powerful comic just started i was just like how do you she gets the biggest laughs dude it's insane you know uh, uh me and jamie gravy have been friends for a long time anyway uh zach sprung one of the another big producer here and and uh and a good comic here in dfw i met the vatos chistosos we've been going on tour together i'm going to be in austin with them at santa cruz theater next month and then also in santa Ana, california you know, uh, we've gone to, me and Diego have gone to Vegas and performed and just everything's just blown up. You just met all these people and, and developed the community. And then I was just like, I'm going to start pushing the comedy junkie society thing, see if it takes. But I wasn't going to say I'm starting this group. I start whispering in people's ear. And there's, you have to follow certain guidelines to get in it. So the first thing was you have to, someone has to vouch for you good person of good character someone that you want to work with you know yeah and then you have to have two vouchers actually and then on the uh the second thing is you've had to be on two professional shows that we've produced as comedy junkies before we let you in right so what i did was i whispered in some people's ears that are known comedian like jamie gravy gretchen young people that are established like jamie gravy's on tour with eddie griffin eddie griffin just um he got uh a residency at uh man, i forgot which casino in vegas well on the 26th jamie's gonna be there to open with him you know yeah. what i'm saying so i mean these are these are comedians that are doing things and they were just like yeah we got your back we want to be down right i was like great so i at least got these five members influencers right and then i started whispering in people's ears that i liked and they started liking it and stuff like that and i was like okay so then all of a sudden they start telling other people and I, I wanted it to organically grow. Yeah. I wanted it to take, you know? And then all of a sudden at the mics, people start coming up. Hey, man, what's this comedy junkie society thing that Jamie and everyone's talking about? And then I got to spill, you know, what it was and stuff. And when they're interested and they're coming looking for it, you know, yeah. I was just like, great. These are the people I want to work with because they already know who's involved. They want to work with them. 
And these are quality comics that do good business as well because you don't want someone that does bad business, you know? Yeah. But then we had club owners and venue uh, promoters and stuff that want to be part of it and camera guys, you know, that their main thing is comedy. So now we have a circuit, you know? And then now it empowers the the comic. Like, I don't have dues or nothing like that. Like, you don't got to pay nothing to be part of it. You just got to be cool and funny, yeah. right? Or somehow a way where you can network. It's like building our own phone book, you know? Yeah. Our own network where it's a trusted network where people can work together. So if and, a club calls you and says, hey, do you have a comedian no, or can no, you no. do this? or No, well, I wanted to empower the comedians. Oh, okay. Because a lot of producers, like, you got to go through me. Uh-huh. And they get percentages. Okay. Yeah. So my thing is now when someone goes, they can put the logo on their card if they want to. Right? They can go to a club that that I've been and been successful so at. So the club and, knows that they're part of yeah, this. Yeah. When they see the comedy junkie, like, hey, you're a comedy junkie. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, man. We work with George or we work with Zach or we've worked with Diego from Vatos or we've worked from, with someone, right? Yeah. And they're just like, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There must be good people. Now, most times... You're going to have a decision maker that hit one of us up, one of the people that that have been around for a minute, and just get another vouch. Hey, man, this guy says he's a comedy junkie. You know what I'm saying? Is, is, he, is he good for business? And more than likely, I say yes. You know what I'm saying? Unless it's someone that very new. I'd be like uh, the very funny, great guy or girl, right? But I just don't know if uh, – I, I don't know if they're – I don't know what kind of draw they have as a producer. Yeah. But good people. Yeah. You know? I said, Maybe a good opener. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, usually the, the people I have in Comedy Junkie got at least 15 minutes, 20 minutes. They can yeah. feature. Okay. You know? So it's, you know, I, I bring people in that that can carry a crowd. Like I said, they have to have done two professional shows with me. And yeah. I'm very picky on who I put on my shows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because you want to give the audience a, a good show, you know. And do you uh, do you write for any other comedians? No, no. Being a writer, you just you write for yourself. I write for myself. And, and has uh, anyone approached you to like, hey man, can you help me? No, uh, as far as helping, yeah. yeah. I mean, we will have like writing circles and stuff like yeah. that. So basically, a writing circle. Everyone does it different, man. Kind of like a songwriting circle. Like, I got a part here. Can you put something here? Can you, yeah, can you help me yeah, out? Yeah, or it's like an idea. It's 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 crazy. Uh, um, like this guy named Marcus Olin that came in from uh, him, Genevieve, and Justin Essemacher. Y'all need to look into to these people, man. They're they're amazing right now. They're in Austin, and now Genevieve's opening up for Joe Rogan and shit. Like it's amazing. They've only been here like three months. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, anyway, they had an awesome writing system, right? So basically, all day long, they're writing. They always work together, live together, whatever. So Marcus has this whiteboard. Right. And we'll all just be talking, shooting the shit, talking shit to each other, whatever. And to us, that's that's we're writing. Right. And as soon as something's funny or a subject or whatever, writes it down. And then we'll still be talking and we'll be attacking it every now and then. And then he'll just write right out of sentence, right out of punchline. And and then it will develop, you know, and whoever came up with the subject, that's your shit. Right. Yeah. Or like the way I do it, I do it a little bit different, like with with people that write with me. I have my system is, all right, say if it's four of us at the kitchen table, right? And I'll be like, um, everyone gets 10 minutes. It's going to be a 40-minute, probably an hour writing session. 
everyone gets 10 minutes, right? So in 10 minutes, uh, one person will put their whole, their, their bid out or anything they're working on, right? And they'll go through different bits. And while they're going, uh, they'll be writing. I mean, everyone's writing notes on it, right? So then after they're done with the 10 minutes, us three would be like, well, maybe if you said it like that, that was really funny. But if you said it like this, or did you look at it from this point? So no one's really writing for you. They're just giving you notes. Yeah, what what yeah, if yeah. you said this, this? And then all of a sudden it becomes a discussion and we're all talking about this bit. And then at the very end of it, whatever the guy, no one's writing nothing for no one. Whatever the guy's taking from everyone or the girl's taking from the comic is taking from everyone, uh, they'll develop it on their own and sometimes they'll keep an idea or not. And the same thing with me. Yeah. So I love it when I can put my band, I have a group of trusted comics around and uh, and then they'll throw me all these ideas and then that bit will just grow, you know, but then you'd have to take it on stage and then it turns into something completely different, you know, or sometimes, man, it just comes out perfect. That's very rare. Yeah. Very rare. But sometimes it happens, man. Sometimes it happens. That That's like, you know, you finally get to bust a nut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you you came out of prison mm-hmm. into a pandemic quarantine. Uh-huh. And all this has happened since then. Yeah. Just what then. you're telling me, the comedy junkies, the, yeah, the shows. All this, yeah, it's insane. And right now I'm on tour by my like I'm headlining. Yeah, I've and, I've looked at your schedule. You're, you're yeah, pretty busy. Yeah. And I do it all on myself, you know. First off, I never knew if I can travel or not. I mean, every now and then I'd get booked out of town and stuff. And then uh Alex Raimundo, um, when I had a deal with him, his whole thing was and he's huge, bro. And the way all right, this is a really cool story. So at the time I was producing a lot of shows at Hyenas in the Red Room because no one else was doing it. And I, I had other shows. Sometimes I had two or three shows running the same night, different locations, mm-hmm. right? Because Comedy Junkies, we had so many com- comics, right? And um, that night, that particular night, there was a guy that's one of the partners and also the director of Texas for number Juan Tequila, right? He was in the audience. Um, I guess I spoke with him, whatever, exchanged numbers that night. And uh, then, no, actually a friend of mine, she messages me and she was like, uh, hey, um, that guy, he wants to get a hold of you. Is it okay if I give him your number? I was like, yeah. So then he gives me a call and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, man, he goes, I really like your set, this, 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 whatever. And, you know, number Juan Tequila, I'm the referee. I didn't know what number Juan Tequila was. And he goes, uh, do you know who Alex Raimundo is? I was like, hell yeah. He was like, do you know who Ron White is? I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> he was like, well, they own it. He goes, and we're doing all these, sponsoring all these gigs and stuff, and we never do comedy. And two of the top comedians own it. And we don't do comedy. We do, like, rock shows and DJ EDM shows yeah. and stuff like that. And and I was just like, oh, shit. I was like, uh, cool, man. I was like, what do you want to do? He was like, well, I heard you have all these venues. He goes, we'd like to be George Red Speak sponsor, Comedy Junkie Society sponsor, right? I was like, bet. Let's fucking do it. Right? So he's like, can you write me a, a proposal? And I was like, yeah. So I wrote the proposal. And then over the phone, we've had conference calls with the different owners and the CEO and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I did. I asked, I asked for a lot of money. You know, I, I shoot high. Yeah. You know, and then we can negotiate after that. You know? And um, 
So he gives me a call and he was just like, um, he goes, Alex wants to give you a call here in a little bit. Is that okay? Are you free? I was like, Alex Raimundo? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually doing a show. Like, I was yeah. at Bodega in Fort Worth. Uh-huh. And we were having a, a show. And I, I, I was like, no, yeah, tell him to give me a call. And I told one of my friends, like, man, take over, make sure everything runs smoothly and stuff, right? And uh, I went outside. And Alex gives me a call, right? And he was like, yeah, can I speak to George? This is Alex Raimundo. I was like, hey, Alex, how you doing? This is George. And, he, and we just started talking. And he started asking me a lot of questions, just drilling me, you know, which you should, uh, anyone you do yeah. business with, right? And he's trying to see if, if, I, if I'm the real deal. So he was asking me comedy questions. He was asking me producing questions. He was asking me, well, what if this happened and this happened? How would you deal with that, right, uh, on the road? And, you know, I answered him. He started asking me numbers to see if I knew what, you know, what in the business, what the numbers yeah. usually are. And uh, and then he goes, man. To tell you the truth, I was calling you because he goes, your your proposal was was really well written out. And he goes, um, I was calling you out of respect to basically let you down. <laughs> he goes, but after this call, because we ended up talking for like an hour, hour yeah. and a half, dude. He was like, but after this conversation, he goes, man, I want to do business with you. He goes, I don't. He goes, let's not even do the sponsorship. He goes, I think we have a lot more here that we can do. He goes, I've been locked up in this pandemic this whole year. We're talking, this is like November, December, right? Yeah. No, it's like November, right? He goes, I need to get the fuck out the house, dude. He goes, my family's driving me crazy. He goes, I love them. He goes, and I think I'm driving them crazy too. <laughs> right? And I was just like, cool. And uh, I was like, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to come out to Texas. I want to start doing some shows, a little smaller, because he usually does arenas and shit like that. You know, and they'll do have five, ten thousand people there, right? And he's like, I want to do small shows, you know, fifty. He said fifty to two hundred people. That's what I want to do. He goes, I want to get my my chops back, you know, and I just want to get back into it. And he goes, plus at the end, he goes, I really want to spend time with everybody. He goes, I want to talk to people. I want to take pictures, you know. And he goes, I want to hang out, you know, with with the fans and stuff. I was like, that sounds awesome. I was like, oh, where do you see me fitting in? He goes, can you produce a, can you produce a tour for me in Texas? Uh, and I said, yeah, sure. I was like, uh, for how long? He was like, let's just do January. He was, we'll start with January, we'll see where it goes. Well, that January ended up going all the way into like, uh, like the end of March, well, the first week of May, right? So we worked together for, for a minute. And... I learned so much from him, man, and he was very generous with information as well and all his backstories and stuff, and just learning how to open up for for a real pro, right, and the notes he would give me and stuff. But also what I did learn, I learned a lot of the business on the road, how to handle things, what to ask for, stuff like that, and, um, you know, I was in charge of everything, and it was a big task, but it was it was a great learning experience, a successful one, too, and I came out of it saying... I know how to book a tour, right? And at the time, I've, I've, I've been working all that material that I've had. I've been working a, a lot on it. So at the time, I had about 30. Now i got 45 minutes. <coughs> I said, once I get you know, 40, 45 minutes, I'm going to start headlining. And if no one else is going to hire me as a headliner locally, then I'm going to hire myself. I'm going to go on the road, and I'm going to take some comics with me. 
right? And that's what I've been doing these past few months, and my schedule's full every month, you know? Yeah, I know when I reached out to you, you were in town, but then I and saw then, you and then I was like in Lubbock, Lubbock yeah. and, and then Austin and yeah. all of them. So, like, yeah, man, uh, and ever since then, it's been working. And the main thing is, is like I said, it's the, the comedy junkie mentality is, you know, helping other comics out. And when you give people opportunity, you know, and you show venues that you have opportunity to for them to stretch a little bit and bring some new business in and retain old business, stuff like that, you know, that's people are generating with each other and we're growing together and we're all yeah. paying bills together. Yeah. You know, so it's all about finding the solution of wherever that gap is, where there's a financial opportunity for or even personal gain or uh, or, or like uh, growth in their craft giving people opportunities just to grow, yeah. you know, be better at whatever it is that they're doing, you know? Yeah. And then you find that people do the same for you. Yeah. I yeah. think in any, in any industry, you surround yourself with people with the same goal. It, it's going to go someplace. Yeah. And if it doesn't, every, everyone's to blame for if it does or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it usually does yeah. because everyone wants that next thing. And when they get there, they want the next thing, you know? I think it works. Yeah. Man, I'm really glad I met you. I'm really glad I reached out to you. Yeah, I know. It's been awesome, I I think this might go further. (laughs) Hey, dude, uh, it's been a great conversation, man. Um, Yeah, I love that you controlled the conversation because a lot of times I'm pulling things out. But so... But I do have one question for you. Yeah. This podcast is called Is Breakfast Included? Yes. And if it was, what would you have? Oh, man. Breakfast? <laughs> Everything. That's, breakfast. That's my standard question. <laughs> that gets asked regardless. Yeah. Uh, man, it has to have bacon, sausage, maple syrup. I don't really eat pancakes or waffles or nothing like that, but I use that maple syrup on that sausage <laughs> and the bacon and hash browns and eggs, man. That's just that's my thing. You know, all, with, the, with the tortilla, though. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that's an old-school Mexican <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the syrup on the sausage. <laughs> yeah, man. With the tortilla, though. Some hot sauce. Man, where can people find you online? Everything's your... George Red Speaks. That's just the way you spell it. George Red, but red with two Ds, like double Ds, like big titties, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but on all over social media, George Red Speaks. Uh, it's all the same. You have so. anything coming up? Yeah, uh, uh, and the for the year, anything coming up for the year? Like, well, I'm, I mean, I'm just in, just touring around right now, working a lot in Austin. Um, I think uh, the 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 biggest shows if wherever this gets out, if there's anything in Austin uh, or any listeners in Austin, come out to Santa Cruz Theater um, on the seventh and the twenty. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would be there <laughs> uh, the twenty first. Come out there. It's going to be a great show. Um, other than that, if, if you really want to find out where I'm at, just go to at George Red Speaks, and I always have my itinerary updated every two weeks um, so people could, you know, find where, where to buy the tickets with the ticket link or whatever it is. You know? All right on, man. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for taking the time to do this, man. Definitely, man. It, I appreciate it's a you. pleasure meeting you. Yeah, really. that's awesome, really. man. Let's, let's do it again. All right, man. All right, brother. All right on. That was George Red Speaks. You can find him on all the social media platforms under at George Red Speaks. He's a great comedian, a great guy, a very savvy comedian, and I hope to be working with him again in the future. 
All right, guys, I am done. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>